You're listening to The Gathering Church Podcast, located in Asheville, North Carolina. The Gathering is a place where you can belong before you believe. To find out more, visit gatherashville.org. Had a little sound trouble there, but if you missed it, my name's John Mark Redwine. I'm the lead pastor, and I'm so happy that you're here on this snowy Sunday morning. I hope that you're cuddled up somewhere warm right now, worshiping with us, or or maybe you were so busy playing in the snow on Sunday and getting soaked down to your bones in it that uh, you're, you're catching up with us another day this week. That's all right. Welcome. We're honored to have you with us. Whether you're joining us live online or, or tuning in another time, we're happy that you're here. We started this church almost five years ago so that you would have somewhere to belong and a family to pursue a relationship with Jesus alongside, and really just to go through life with. And that's what we're all about, Jesus, relationships, and real community. And in just two weeks, we're going to be coming back live in-person gatherings at the YMCA, at the Reuters Family YMCA in Biltmore Park. If you've never been to one of our live services, I really want to encourage you to join us. There is nothing like being in the room. There is no substitute for being able to worship alongside one another and, and see the people that you are in community and in, in this family with. We would love to have you. You know, we take the virus very seriously. That's why we've been online during this time while the hospitals have been at higher capacity. But as we see the numbers trend in the right direction, we can't wait to worship together again. We will be checking temperatures at the door, socially distancing inside our facility, taking every precaution with cleaning and in our kids' areas, and, and we'll be requiring masks for worship. I really do want to encourage you that if if you have not been yet, just come check it out. See what you think. See how you feel. We would love to be able to worship together with you. February 21st, when we go back live and in person, is our five-year anniversary as a church. Five years on the day since we launched this church. We launched in February 21st, 2016 with nothing but a big dream in our hearts and, and an idea of how we wanted to bring people together to gather around Jesus and around one another. And we're going to be celebrating celebrating that that day. I'm going to be sharing my heart for this church. Really, uh, if you're new, you've just been checking us out. It's a great Sunday to be there because I'll be sharing my heart for who we are, celebrating where we've been, and talking about where we're going. And so it's a good day to be there. And let me just remind you too, uh, you know, Mikey just brought it up about life groups and launching life groups. We're launching life groups that same day, February 21st, and we need people to lead groups. We can't do this alone. We can't do it without you. Our heart for this church is to create spaces where people can be known and and know somebody. Spaces where you can be vulnerable and really begin to find freedom from the things that have been holding you back and to make those relationships and those friendships that help you to grow closer to who Jesus called you to be. Uh, we, it's so central to who we are as a church. And so if you've led in the past or maybe you've never led before and you don't know if you feel qualified or not, we have so many different ways you can lead a life group. I would encourage you just to at least reach out, ask some questions, pray about it, think about it, and uh, and sign up to lead a life group this semester. Well, hey, today we're in week two of a series called Under Pressure, Under 
pressure. Last week, Mikey gave an incredible message about fear and how seasons of pressure can reveal fear in us and how we can overcome that. Check that message out on our website or on our podcast if you missed it. Today, I want to talk about the pressure of success, the pressure of success. I acknowledge that this is a strange season in human history to be talking about success. Maybe you haven't felt success in the last year or or you, you can't relate to it anymore. You don't remember it. But I do know that I'm talking to a lot of people who are still experiencing seasons of success. They're experiencing wins. They're, they're seeing life go the way they want it to despite the crises that are constantly hitting our news feeds. And, and so if, if you can't relate, Lean in. I do think that God's got something for you this morning. Uh, but come back next week because next week we're going to be talking about the pressure of pain, something many of us can relate to over the last year. And that's coming next Sunday. But today I really do feel uh, like God wants to teach us something about how we handle the pressure of our successes, of our wins, of the blessings that we have in life, the good seasons we have in life. Here's the idea for this series. When, when a plumber uh, wants to test a pipe for leaks, he pressurizes it. He pressurizes that pipe. And when he does, the pressure reveals the weaknesses in the pipe. It exposes the areas that are leaking. Sometimes a pipe may look good. It may look like there's no issues with it. But then you pressurize it, and all of a sudden, those leaks become apparent. Pressure exposes things in us that we can't always see in its absence. It's one of the good things about pressure because even though we couldn't see them when we weren't under pressure, those leaks were already there. Those weaknesses already existed. The pressure just exposed them. Many of us have been through a lot of pressure in the last year and many of us have been squeezed and maybe it's revealing some leaks in your life. When we go through those seasons of pressure, it's very important for us when we see where those leaks are to take inventory and begin to grow in the areas we are weak. Jeremiah 17.10 says, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man, to give to every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his deeds. God searches our hearts and he tests our minds and he weighs us according to the fruit we produce. Seasons of pressure may not be caused by God, but they are used by him to test us and see what kind of fruit comes out of us. So let's talk about what pressure reveals in us. God's word is full of people with flaws and weaknesses just like you and I and from their stories we can learn a lot about what we should do and what we should not do. Today I want to talk about Gideon. Gideon. Quick history lesson. Gideon is from a period of Israelite history that's in between the Israelites settling into the promised land and Israel becoming a kingdom. There was a, a period of time in between that where they were a, what was called a theocracy, meaning they established their government with God at the head of it. God was the center of their government and then there was a judge who was set up to enact God's will over the people. And so this judge was uh, in effect the leader of the people with God over him in authority. The season of judges 
is marked by constant conflict with the Canaanites, who were the people who were occupying the promised land before the Israelites showed up. And so there's constant conflict from the peoples who live in the areas around them. There's constant conflict within the people of Israel because of the way they're adapting the religions, the practices, the rituals of the Canaanites and the people who they're living among. And and so it's kind of a tumultuous time in the history of Israel. Gideon was chosen by God to be one of these judges during an especially tumultuous time. The Midianites, who were one of those groups of Canaanites, were constantly raiding the homes and the farms and the storehouses of the Israelites during this season and taking their harvest and taking their food. Gideon is introduced to us threshing his wheat in a wine press, which is to say he's afraid and he's hiding and he's farming in a hole so that nobody will see him. He's trying to protect the food that he's harvesting from the invaders that would steal it. And God calls him out of that place of fear and into a position of influence. It says this in Judges chapter 6, verse 12. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But if the Lord is with us, why has all of this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us out, out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. Verse 14, the Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? You know, the call of God on your life is a powerful thing. God does this even still today. He, he, he still calls us out of our places of fear into positions of influence. It may not be quite as dramatic as an angel coming and finding you in a wine press, hiding from your enemies and declaring that you're a mighty warrior. That may not be your experience. But every day God steps into our hearts and our places and he places dreams in our hearts that are bigger than anything we could hope to accomplish on our own. He gifts us for those dreams and his Holy Spirit gives us the means to step into purpose that is bigger than ourselves. Maybe you've seen God take you from a place of fear to a position of influence. Maybe you've seen God elevate you in ways that are hard for you to understand or explain in your life. Maybe you've seen success in your life in any number of ways. Maybe you've seen your dreams come true. Maybe you've had opportunities that you didn't know, uh, that you know don't come to everybody, show up for you. Maybe you've invested in GameStop over the last couple weeks and now you're just rolling in the dough. I don't understand it, I just wish I was a part of it. Maybe you felt a call from God on your life and you stepped into that call. And as a result of stepping into that call, you've seen failures and successes. Gideon answers this call and God uses him mightily, bigger than he could have ever imagined as he was sitting in this wine press harvesting his wheat. God calls on Gideon to raise up an army to fight against the people who are oppressing the Israelites. And Gideon is successful in raising an army of around 30,000 men. But the opposing army sits at about 120,000 men. The odds are stacked against Gideon, but he's got God on his side. And to make that as clear as possible that God is on his side and that God is the one who is going to get this victory, he does this. 
It says in uh, Gideon chapter se- or Judges chapter seven verse two, the Lord said to Gideon, "You have too many men. You have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands, or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me." Do you know that that's our tendency, isn't it? When, when even when the odds are stacked against us, even when it's clear that God has been involved, our own tendency is to stop and say, "My own strength has saved me." Look at what I have done. Verse 3, Now announce to the army, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left while 10,000 remained. That's incredible, but God's not done yet. He keeps whittling down the men until there are only 300 remaining. Then he gives Gideon a strategy to attack at night and scare this army into destroying itself. And of course, this strategy works. Most of the army is defeated in the night and the rest runs. Gideon and his men pursue them and have a battle uh, with 15,000 more men. And they win because God has called them to victory. And that's where we find the passage I want to focus on today. Today, I want to show you what happens when Gideon is under the pressure of success, after he has seen God accomplish so much in his life and seen these truly miraculous things happen, what happens next? That's the story we're going to look at today. This is Judges chapter 8, and it starts in verse 22. It says that they've, they've had their victory. They've all come home with the spoils of war, and they're celebrating, and they're celebrating what God has done. They're celebrating not being oppressed by the Midianites anymore, and this is in verse 22. It says, the Israelites said to Gideon, rule over us, you, your son, and your grandson, because you've saved us from the hand of Midian. They wanted to make Gideon their king and establish a kingdom. Something that you see as a refrain throughout the judges that God eventually answers by making Saul the king over Israel. But that is still a long time from this moment. And Gideon is not going to be the king of Israel. It says in verse 23, Gideon told them, I will not rule over you, nor will my son rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. And he said, I do have one request that each of you give me an earring from your share of the plunder. It was the custom of the Ishmaelites to wear gold earrings. They answered, we'll be glad to give them. And so they spread out a garment and each of them threw a ring from his plunder into it. The weight of the gold rings he asked for came to 1,700 shekels, not counting the ornaments, the pendants, and the purple garments worn by the kings of Midian or the chains that were on their camels' necks. Gideon made the gold into an ephod which he placed in Ophrah, his town. And all Israel prostituted themselves by worshiping it there. And it became a snare to Gideon and to his family. Gideon is put under the pressure of success. And what it reveals in him is pride and idolatry. With his mouth, he does the right thing. He says, no, I'm not going to be the king. God is your king. He denies their requests. But then he begins to act like a king. He asks them to pay him tribute, to give them a portion of what they have earned. He sets it up for them to worship. He builds an ephod, which was a Jewish robe for a high priest. But instead of it being cloth and jewel, like the law of Moses commanded, he made it out of gold. And instead of it being clothing worn in worshiping God, the people worshiped it 
instead. In fact, at the time, the tabernacle was with a tribe that had actually not helped Gideon out very much during this campaign. And a lot of scholars believe that one of the reasons Gideon chose an ephod for what they would make out of that gold was as if to say, no, the presence of God is here and not in the tabernacle. It was a move made entirely out of pride. This was an item that was meant to be used in worshiping God, but instead, the people worshiped it instead. The story goes on to say that Gideon developed a harem of many women, and then he named one of his 70 sons Abilamech, which means my father is king. Gideon's pressure exposed in him pride and idolatry, pride and idolatry. Maybe you don't relate to a grand epic tale of success, but maybe you still wouldn't know what it means to have the pressure of success reveal pride and idolatry within you. Maybe you know what it means to allow comfort to lead you to sin, complacency, and pridefulness. I think the process in our minds and in our hearts sounds a little bit like this. I got me here. I got me here. Every victory Gideon experienced came from God. But in the end, he began to believe the lie that it was his success that got him the position of power and prominence he enjoyed. Maybe you've come through a season of great victory recently, and maybe you're tempted to look back at all the hard work you did during that season and think, wow, I did it. I am the captain of my fate. I am the titan of my industry. I am awesome. Maybe you've had a long-fought victory, a career built over decades. Maybe you've had relationships, success, and you recently got married, or maybe you celebrated a big milestone anniversary. Maybe you had an idea for something that led to something more, and, and your success has grown over the years. Maybe at the edge of that success, whatever it may look like for you, it's very tempting for you to look at it and say, look, I got me here. I did this all by myself, hooray me. Proverbs 21, 31 says, the horse is made ready for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. In other words, yes, we work for our successes. Yes, we prepare and we study and we plan and we strategize and we hustle. We make the horse ready for battle. And it's okay to celebrate that work, but we have to remember that the victory still belongs to the Lord. He is the one who called us. He is the one who equipped us. He is the one who saw us. He is the one uh, who filled us with his spirit and gave us every good gift we have. I think after that, we tend to celebrate the wrong things. We celebrate the wrong things. We say, I got me here, and we celebrate the wrong things. One of the early things Gideon became known for was tearing down the idols to Baal that were all over his country. In fact, he earned the name Jerobaal, which means let Baal deal with him, because he kept tearing down these altars. So it's ironic that after his success, Gideon leads the Israelites into worship a different idol. And I think it's worth noting that they made an idol, an idol out of a normal part of Jewish worship. He takes a good thing and he allows it to become an idol. And instead of it becoming something that pointed them to where they should celebrate, it became the thing they celebrated. We do the same thing. Like if God heals our marriage through counseling, prayer, and intentional work, 
But instead of honoring, worshiping, and giving God the glory, we begin to worship each other, which over time will lead us from victory to failure. Or when God gives us wisdom and discernment to advance in our careers, but instead of eventually, instead of worshiping the provider, we begin to worship the provision. It's so easy to make good things idols when we allow ourselves to get caught up in the pressure of success. And sometimes we see our weakness come out when success leads us to say, I deserve a release. I deserve this. I deserve a break. I deserve a release. I deserve this little thing on the side. I deserve to have something that just helps me get through this moment. Judges 8.30 tells us that Gideon had many wives, which eventually led his family into idolatry, chaos, and it led to Israel falling into mass idol worship shortly after his death. You know, there is a lot of polygamy in the Old Testament, but... It is always associated with chaos and idolatry and issues of sin within the families where it exists. The pressure of success revealed sin in Gideon. I wonder if you've ever seen your seasons of great victory become your seasons of deepest sin. If you've seen a season where you should only be counting the ways things have gone right, but instead... You're finding new ways to justify the things you know are wrong. There are so many stories of men and women of great influence failing because of sin. And the story is usually the same. The pressure of their influence led them to search for a release. And they began to believe they deserved it until finally they gave into it. If we aren't careful, the pressure of success can lead us to Pride, idolatry, and sin. So here is what we can do to make ourselves strong enough to stand firm when we are under that pressure. Simply first, we give glory to God. We give glory to God and we do it regularly and we do it often and it becomes our habit. I'm talking about a habit of worship. Giving yourself a habit of worship. Worship is simply the act and the decision to turn our attention towards God. It's taking our eyes uh, off ourselves and training them to look towards Him. When we are in a regular habit of worship, it's easier to remember where our help comes from. Psalm 121 says, I lift my eyes up to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Worship reminds us to keep our eyes fixed, not just on the victories that we've had, but on the one who got us there. I think it's okay to feel satisfied and confident in yourself when you gain big accomplishments in life. I don't think the Christian life should require you to always deflect compliments and feel weird about the satisfaction of victory. I think that's, that's not what God calls us to. But I do think that it's important to remember that we don't gain those victories all on our own. And as we go through life and we experience wins, we need to celebrate those wins and for what they are. But at the same time, we need to give God glory for them. Celebrate the wins. It's okay to say, I did a good job. But it's also important to say, and God is the one who got me here. Give God the glory. Give him the glory. First Thessalonians says, give thanks to God in all circumstances. If he's good, if it's good, he's been involved. So in every circumstance, 
Give him thanks and give him glory. And what this does is it resets your attitude and protects you from shifting your dependence to yourself or or allowing your pride to well up within yourself. In the moments when Gideon depended solely on himself, he experienced trouble. But when he was dependent on God, he experienced great victory. Same Gideon. His gifts, talents, and abilities still factored in. He is the one who prepared the horse for battle, but the victory belonged to the Lord. God made the way for his success. If the pressure of leadership, success, or a win in your life reveals pride in you, reverse it by regularly giving glory to God and it will rewire your mind. And the second thing that we can do is practice humility. Practice humility. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's not putting yourself down. It's not acting like you can't do anything good by yourself. It's not hanging your head down and not making eye contact with people. That's not what humility is. Humility is not thinking less about yourself. It's just thinking about yourself less. It means the primary story that I live isn't one that centers around me. It means that I allow someone else or something else to occupy my thoughts other than just me. It means that I think about the world through a viewport that is bigger than my own experience and expectations. That's what humility is. It is learning and retraining our minds to think beyond ourselves. Humility is not thinking less about yourself. It is thinking about yourself less. If you struggle with pride or if pressure reveals in you what we used to call haughtiness or pride or, or so, something like it, if it makes you look at what you've done and feel like, I deserve this, this was all me, look at how great I am, and it starts to shift your perspective only to yourself, the cure for that is humility. It is humility. James 4.10 says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Humble yourselves, meaning humble yourself. Shift your perspective to something outside of yourself and God will lift you up. Gideon says, give me a portion of your riches. And then he uses it to make a Jewish symbol of the high priesthood and displays it in his hometown for people to worship. And judges said the people prostituted themselves before it. And that is where Gideon's story ends. It just moves on to another judge in the next chapter. I wonder what else would have happened in this story if Gideon would have humbled himself in victory. If he had humbled himself in this success before the Lord and given glory to God, what else could God have done in his life? He defeated and drove out this army with 300 men. And I just can't help but wonder what else could God have done with him. Right after Gideon dies, idolatry overtakes Israel again. The very thing that Gideon's victory was meant to drive out is worse than it was before. That makes me think that God had more to do with Gideon and that maybe he missed out on it. Paul says this in Colossians. It says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, 
and patience. These things are the cure for a prideful heart. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And notice the language that Paul uses. He says, clothe yourselves with. As in, don't just pray and ask God for it. Don't just pray and ask God for humility. Don't, don't just hope you are a humble and kind and compassionate person. It's actually, it's more like your clothing. Can I wake up in the morning and get out of the shower and ask God to keep me covered today and then just walk out of my house? Absolutely not. I would go to jail immediately. I'd be all over the headlines. It would be horrible. I have to make a choice to walk into my closet, to get my clothes out, and to put them on my body. It is not something that is passive or that I simply wait to happen to me. It is active, and I have to do it. I clothe myself every day in a fine-looking sweater and collared shirt, okay? i got to make the choice to clothe myself. It's conscious action. The same is true with these virtues, when we are living in success or victory, our default is always going to be to look back at ourselves. In fact, for most of us, as we go through life, our default setting is to act like it is all about us, like it's just about ourselves, to, to see it through our wants, our desires, our worldview. That's our default setting. We have to make a choice to choose humility and kindness and compassion. We put it on. We don't just ask God. We can ask God to increase it, to, to, to let his Holy Spirit produce that fruit in us. But at the end of the day, you get to choose to either be humble or prideful today, to either be mean or kind, to be selfish or compassionate. These are our choices. And so we practice humility because it is an active choice we have to continue to make. In your successes, celebrate and praise God for it and then turn it out to others and choose humility, choose compassion, choose kindness and it will help you to patch up these leaks in your heart. And the last thing that we can do is stay vigilant. Stay vigilant. Most of us are aware that in seasons of defeat or pain or loss, we are more likely to struggle with our weaknesses. But I believe in our seasons of success and victory and even seasons of peace, we are just as likely to allow ourselves to sin. Our complacency and victory often leads us to places we shouldn't be. That's what happened here to Gideon. It's also what happened to King David. David, from the story of David and Goliath, became the king of Israel and became one of the greatest kings in their history. He had a lot of successes, a lot of victories. He won battles. He wrote so many psalms that people would use in, in their worship times. And he was even called a man after God's own hearts. But all of that success made him complacent. 2 Samuel 11.1 1 says, In the spring, at the time when the kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. Did you catch that? He's not where he's supposed to be. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. And one evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. And from the roof, he saw a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful. And David sent someone to find out about her. David should not have been on that roof. 
the decision that he made to not go to war, to stay passive, to stay complacent in his success led to a lot of pain and loss for David and his people and his family and for generations because of his decision. He should have been fighting. He should have been moving forward. He should have been pursuing what God wanted next for his life. But instead he got comfortable and the pressure of success revealed his weakness. Let me encourage you with this. Instead of making an idol out of your success like Gideon, instead of becoming complacent in your season of peace like David, keep fighting. Keep fighting. Keep moving forward. There is more for you. Take a moment and catch your breath. It's okay. It's important to rest. It's important to celebrate our wins. We should say, oh my goodness, look what God has done. Look at how far I've come. Look at what, what we were able to accomplish. I know that I prepared this horse for battle. I worked hard and I'm going to celebrate that work. And I'm going to celebrate my part in this. But I'm going to worship God because the victory is His and it belongs to Him. And so I'm going to turn my eyes to Him and say, God, thank you for what you've done and thank you for choosing me to do it. Celebrate the win, but then keep moving forward because God's not done yet. He doesn't take you to a mountaintop to leave you there. He takes you to a mountaintop to celebrate and say, look, there's another one. Let's keep moving. David should have been out there in that fight, gaining victories for the Lord, but instead he walked into a place of sin. Gideon had more to do. I just believe it in my heart. But instead, he fell into idolatry, pride, and led his country back into sin. There is more for you. Even in seasons of victory and in seasons of rest, make sure that you intentionally become who God created you to be and accomplish what he's gifted you to do. If you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus or with God, you know, you maybe you do feel like every victory you have got has been hard fought. Like you've been all on your own and, and nobody should be able to share the credit with you. Can I just tell you something today? God was a part of those victories too because he made you. He crafted you. He gave you what it was that you used to get there. He placed it in you and he's got bigger dreams for you still. Whatever victories you've gained, he's got bigger victories in mind for you. He's got bigger dreams for you. And if you want to pursue those dreams, if you want to see those bigger victories, if you want to have someone to share in the wins alongside, all you have to do is say yes to a gift he offered you a long time ago. Is that Jesus made a way for you to enter into a relationship with him. All you have to do is accept the sacrifice he made for you and you will have the power of his Holy Spirit to do whatever God's got next for you. If you're ready to make that decision, would you just say this prayer with me today? In your own home, close your eyes, bow your head, open your hands, look up at the sky. I don't care, but let's pray this together. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the way that you made me for the victories you have planned for me. Forgive me for doing this on my own. Forgive me for all my sin. I give myself to you. All that I am from this moment forward, I give to you. I will serve you. I will worship you. I am yours. In Jesus' name, amen. 
The Gathering Church podcast is produced by the Gathering Church creative team. Want to get involved? Fill out a Connect card online at gatherashville.org, find us on Facebook at The Gathering Church, or on Instagram at Gather Asheville.